Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. Happy St. Patrick's Day. On our show today, we have with us Kent Gregoire, CEO of EcoPlay Playgrounds by Safe Play, a serial entrepreneur who has owned and run over 50 companies, and Sally Williamson, founder and president of Sally Williamson Associates, an executive coaching firm that specializes in communication and executive presence. And she's worked with lots of Fortune 500 companies like Coke and, and others. Thanks so much for being with us today, guys. Delighted to have you. Good morning, Soini. It's great to be here. So as always, we like to start our show by just finding out a little bit about your thoughts on some emerging trends in the market. So Kent, I would love to hear a little bit about what you're seeing in your industry that you think is important for our listeners to know. Sure. Well, EcoPlay Playgrounds, which has been in business a long time, is a pioneer in creating, manufacturing commercial playground equipment. And one of the things that's been really helpful um, to our business, but extremely encouraging as we think about it to the planet, is the number of parents and end users of playground equipment interested in eco-friendly options. Um, so we're seeing that trend continue to move upward, um, and that's you know making it very exciting for our business. Why why would parents care about having a playground be eco-friendly? Why would that matter to them? You know, from a play perspective, it may not matter to the actual, you know, enjoyment of the playground, but the acknowledgement and the drive within um, people's buying decisions looking for eco-friendly options um, has definitely been a buzz in the marketplace um, in the industry. So that's one of the reasons we're seeing more competitors come up. Um, but it's it, it's a little hard to explain. We just continue to see it. Um, it's increasing. There's a lot more awareness. Um, we're working in the Northeast right now where some of the parks and recs are making it a, um, a priority to include um, options that are out of recycled material or sustainable are going to last multiple generations versus alternative equipment like steel, which is very, very common still, especially in larger installations, which has a 10-year life. Um, so you can have five times the um, capacity to the equipment. And so are, are you seeing growth in your industry? We are. The industry overall is a really large industry. I think people are surprised. I mean, it's a billion-dollar industry. And the growth in the area of recycled material using plastics continues to grow and um, get larger and larger market share. Um, having been a pioneer, our company in the industry, um, you know, it was pretty small originally. And in terms of the need, people saw the cost savings um, over the long run due to maintenance. It doesn't crack, peel, chip, you know, all those kinds of things fade, doesn't burn. Um, and the overall maintenance is significantly less. They don't have to change it out all the time. That's really attracted to places like churches, daycares, um, homeowners associations, but becoming increasingly more important to parks and rec um, and public schools, and certainly has been to private schools. And so are most of your clients actually um, those institutions, or are they uh, individuals as well? We have some individual buyers, but they're mostly commercial institutions. And one of our large um, customers in the past couple of years have actually been military base installations. We're very busy with those doing, you know, three to five installations over every 30 to 60 day period of time. Wow. 
And Sally, in terms of executive coaching, I mean, of course, and, and communication, of course, that's that's been around for forever. Um, but one of the things I was interested in finding out from you is how is social media and the advent of uh, like LinkedIn and um, affecting people's executive presence? And one of the things, for example, I'm an, I, I saw on your website is that people form their impression with within a few moments of meeting you. But now with things like LinkedIn and Facebook, people may form their impression even before they meet you. So how is that affecting your work? Well, most of our work is in the spoken communication space and in LinkedIn and some of the social media really speaks more to written communication and messaging. But I would say overall, it plays into the theme that people are able to gain much more visibility. So visibility is um, much more available to everybody. It is much easier to build your brand. But with that comes liability. And so learning to do it well, to stay consistent about how you want that brand to show up and what you want the messaging to be around thought leadership is actually one of the bigger challenges. Mm-hmm. And so how, how would you recommend or how do you recommend that folks start to address that challenge? They build a strategy. If you think about it uh, as you see leaders, business leaders in social media today, they learn how to develop a plan and to stay real consistent about messaging. And quite honestly, it takes a lot of help. Um, you know, you, you see people, you see their voice out there, and you just assume it's them. But if you pull back and think about it, there aren't a whole lot of leaders who have the time to stay current and on that all the time. So it takes a, takes a small team and a real focused effort to pull that off. Mm-hmm. And speaking of team, um, mm-hmm. you and Kent actually have, you know, a relationship. You knew, he got, you knew each other before you came here. And, and so, you know, my understanding is Kent is, is on your team, right? That, he, that you guys have worked together. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with Kent and why you accepted the invitation to, to be on the show with him this morning. Well, uh, Kent started out by telling you about a specific initiative today. But in addition, he also has a consulting business that helps small business owners like myself. And I first met Kent as part of an advisory group that he put together that was a team of small business CEOs who really needed a sounding board. So that's how we met. I joined his group as well as a team of, I think it was about 10 CEOs at the time. And he really helped us begin to think about our businesses So most of us have a craft or a skill or something we're quite good at, but it had taken off. And uh, as anybody who has a small business knows, once it grows beyond you, all sorts of interesting components about strategizing a business come into play. And that was our connection to him and what he has really helped me do. Wow. So Kent, tell me, how did you go from being an, uh, a leader in an executive group um, with Sally to having a manufacturer of eco-friendly playgrounds. That doesn't seem like a, a, a direct fit there. 
Yeah, well, that I really understand. Um, EcoPlay Playgrounds from Safe Play Systems was, in fact, a client. It had been referred from a client, and the owner was older. He was looking for an exit strategy. And as we began to evaluate them, um, I generated a lot of interest in the company. Having never had a manufacturing company before um, was something new, a challenge. Um, but what's really sealed the deal for me and why I approached the owner is that we have a phenomenal team. Um, much of the team has been there almost from the very beginning. How um, old is the company again? company's 25 years old this year. Mm. Um, we have an employee there that's 19 years, another employee 20 years, an employee that's 16. The newest employee, other than some that have been hired in production recently, is actually eight years. So I'm, in a way, I'm kind of one of the new kids on the block, right, you know, in terms of tenure. Uh, but the excitement of the company, the people, um, they know the industry, they understand the product inside and out, and that created the ability for me to use what I do with a lot of clients at Symphony Advantage, and that's really focus on the strategy, planning, uh, people, uh, making sure that people are really having the opportunity to grow, add greater value. So um, one of the payoffs for me uh, is about keeping my skills relevant, having been a business owner many times, um, you know, not running a company per se over the past decade, having that opportunity to say, hmm, wow, I've got these same challenges that I advise my clients on. Let me advise myself. Let's make sure I execute on those. Um, but, you know, there was an interesting situation recently, and it was a very emotional decision to make. And I think those experiences um, help me, and they're going to continue to help me as I help clients in Symphony Advantage. So what, what was that decision? That decision was actually a change in staffing, mm. and uh, it meant um, a staff member had been with the company for a long time. It's not there. Oh, okay. So you had to let, let somebody go who had been with the company for a very long time. Mm -hmm. and that's, that is a, a, a very difficult challenge. And so what was, I mean, your thought process? I mean, how, I mean especially for listeners who may be going through the same thing, how did, how did you arrive at that decision? It must have been, as you said, very, very difficult. Well, I think the thing that always anchors that decision is what is in the best interest of the business, and that is what ultimately should guide the decision. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So, in in the end, your decision to to um, take over EcoPlay was really about you walking your talk, right? Yes, yes, okay. absolutely. So, um, with folks like Sally, you know, you have you don't want to be a, a fat personal trainer. You want to <laughs> actually be uh be doing exactly what you're telling people. So what has happened with with EcoPlay um EcoPlay Playground since you've taken over? And how long has it been? Um it's been 1 year as of this past Friday, March wow. 13th. So um you know, that's a big milestone. Um the company in terms of um revenue, you know, one of the things as CEOs we always look at. Um first year it grew um three times and we're also already as of February 29th almost double of all of last year. So we're seeing significant growth, and we brought a new staff member on yesterday. We have another new one we're making an offer to today, another person that will be part of the management team, um, and other positions open. Things are happening. The team is working really well together. And um, the nice thing is, is I know that if um, they were talking to others, they're just really, really happy as a group. There's a lot of laughter and um, a lot of things that are happening. People are the, the team is doing a phenomenal job. All right. So did I hear you correctly that you said that you've tripled the revenue in one year? 
In nine months, actually, yes. Oh, wow. Count on it, excuse, nine years. Excuse, I mean, excuse oh, yeah, me, nine yeah. months. Let me yeah. not get that Technically, wrong. Technically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's excellent. So how did, I mean, that's amazing. You know, any, mm. want to share anything for folks who may be, you know, looking to produce those kinds of results in their business? How, I mean, what happened? Well, yeah, you, know, you haven't done that for me, Kent. Well, <laughs> I was just about to say, I was just about to get that. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm meeting with your team soon, Sally. <laughs> we'll have to really go to work. Um, so, you know, my whole piece in business doesn't matter what business I've been in. I've certainly been in all kinds of industries and uh, very, very diverse. I very strongly believe that it is all about the people and really investing the time with the team at Safe Play and making sure that they are... Um, that they have the opportunity to to be heard, that they have the opportunity to work in their sweet zone, you know, where they're really good. Apply that toward um, what the company needs. Um, I don't actually go in every single day. They're in touch with me when we need to talk, but I'm there all day Mondays, and I'm there Friday until early afternoon. Why early afternoon? Because I like taking Friday afternoon off. Um, so, you know, my approach has really been on the people, putting the plan in place, um, helping them execute against the plan, uh, making sure that they're empowered. Um, we do a lot of work with um, regard to making sure that um, they're helping each other in very collaborative environment. But the interesting thing with this, it's not a but, and the interesting thing with this particular organization is that it had come from a place where if we rolled back the clocks 20 years ago, that's what it physically looked like and felt like. That's what the team was expressing. So there has been tremendous transformation in this organization. I rarely use that word because to me, transformation is a big word. There's been tremendous transformation within the people within this organization, allowing them to be an empowered team, giving them positive reinforcement, building them up, asking them to take risk. You know, I've had to ask them to do that, not just um, wait for them to do it, but, you know, get them to really take that risk and put themselves out there and they get very quick payback and they're very proud of the product that we produce. Um, and some things brought that about. There was some outside feedback about our product that made a huge difference. And so, Eni, that happened to be the open house we did last May. Wow. First time the company ever did that. And having all of these people come in um, and the compliments that they received and the wow, wow, you guys are really doing something cool. I can't believe that this is going on right here in Atlanta made a big difference to the team. Yeah, I still use that cutting board, that plastic cutting board that you gave me. <laughs> I have it in my kitchen. So Sally, you know, Kent just mentioned how important people are and that <clears throat> focusing on the people is the way that he got this huge, huge bounce last year. And your business is all about people. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of what Kent's saying about using people and communication and executive presence to help folks grow their businesses and the results that that can produce. So, you know, what, what is the return that people get from investing in, in their people and, and in their own growth and development from your standpoint? Well, I think there's, there's no question. You, you can't move a company forward without people. Um, as, you know, as I think about the value of people, I guess the bigger topic is what's really changed about the development of people 
in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a little different is Kent tends to work in smaller companies. I work in the really large companies um, where you can't see as quick of a turnaround, but you can see where cultures get stymied a bit. And um, what we definitely see is a huge investment in what companies would call high potential, trying to think ahead of what are the skill sets they need and how will they help people get there. These are high potential individuals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so um, a part of what Kent alluded to around team is a theme that you actually see happening in overall development as companies have realized wow, we can develop individuals, but we can also empower teams. And we're seeing some very interesting things begin to happen in companies around training where you're focused on not just an individual, but a team, which is an interesting concept. Because if you think about it in a company, you know, if you really take your high-performing individuals, what you hope is that fast forward five years or 10 years, those people will be leading the company. But more importantly, if if you've worked with them as a team, you've actually coached a team to be successful within a company. And I think that ties back to what Kent's saying. It isn't just about empowering individuals. If you can get a team motivated, great things happen. Mm-hmm. And so when you say some interesting things are happening around these, this empowering the teams. What are some of the what what might some of that actually look like? Well, in my world, in working in companies and training and development, uh, what we see is rotational programs where you're taking a group of people who have a like skill, whether it's a technology skill or a finance skill. You're in these large companies pulling them from different divisions and rotating them around so that they learn all the different divisions and the skills that way. But you're keeping them together as a small unit of people as they go through that program. And those programs may last a year, they may last two years, but what's actually happening is twofold. First, you are developing the skills not in a classroom setting, but literally by placing somebody in a, in a role in a different function that they haven't seen before. And second, you've now helped them build a network with this small group that rotated with them and shared that experience that they wouldn't have had access to for another good 10 years till they hit that point of leadership in a company that reaches more broadly. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, I was just going to say what has been interesting about companies where we see it is the retention dynamic it gives them with employees is great. Mm-hmm. And so the in the end, the, the payoff is that they, they want to stay with the company mm-hmm. and they're ready to do multiple things. And are the those those each of those team members then more productive um, and exhibiting a higher level of leadership after going through the rotational program? Yeah, absolutely. Great, great. Um, So as we think about you guys, so Kent's mentioned that, you know, he was an executive coach, and Sally, you are an executive coach Mm -hmm. as well, and that um, Kent has actually been coaching you, which is an interesting dynamic. How about that? The coach to the coach? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how that 
how that works? Because I imagine that having him coach you, you might, you might be like, well, he's not doing this right or he's not doing that right. Or if I were coaching, I, <laughs> he should really be <laughs> Kent's giving the thumbs up sign. I so, think he's gotten a little of that since we've known each other. <laughs> but how, how does that work when you have to kind of accept, uh, you know, you kind of eat your own chili, so to speak? And, and being a client rather than being the coach? Well, I think anybody who, you know, the term coach is mm-hmm. pretty vague. It is. Um, I think anyone who is in that field would, if you dig a little deeper, would tell you literally what they actually help coach. So my consulting firm is built all around spoken communication. We're really helping empower people around messaging and communication. But there's a behind the scenes piece of that. It is a business and learning how to scale that business, how to keep employees motivated, defining roles, expanding roles. How do you get to the next hurdle? How do you project what the business can be? Um, boy, you had a vision when you started it. You still got one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Lift your head up, look ahead. Uh, that's what Kent brings. So there's the business of our business, and then there's the business of running a business. And so that's been the point that we connect on. But what's been interesting is I guess that we've known each other long enough, and um, I'm sure Kent would tell you if you are working with someone on their business, you have to learn their business. And so he's really come pretty close to literally seeing what we do, not just the strategy and thinking through how we're going to grow the business, but he's, you know, experienced many of our programs, seen firsthand a lot of a lot of what we do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kent, would you say that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in fact, I always look forward to the programs I learn. There's um, some programs that have made a very, very big difference in how I approach spoken communication. Um, and so, you know, very, very powerful. Leading executive conversations is is a very powerful piece um, that Sally and her team um, present to you know, certainly large um, organizations, but also some small companies, and I've had the advantage of participating. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of leading executive conversations, one mm-hmm. of the things I'm very curious about, Sally, is if that's how that changes. Like, so, it, you know, in terms of cultivating executive presence, is that different for men versus women, you know, different age groups? Like how, I, I'm just curious about that. It's a little random, but, you know, <laughs> how, do, how does that work? When you're thinking, or is there a difference when you're talking about helping an executive develop executive presence when you're working with women versus men or, you know, millennials versus folks that may be um, more senior tenure? And if if there is no difference, then So what's interesting about presence is it's universal. Mm. You know, uh, I always tell people, you don't have a presence. You don't give yourself one. Presence is in the eyes of everyone else. And so when you ask people to define what they see as presence, they're very consistent about the attributes that they look for and how someone comes across and how they present themselves. 
When you start working with someone on impressions, how they show up, no question. There are some traits that may be more common to women and more common to men. There certainly are behaviors that are more common to millennials. But the end game is very much helping someone establish a brand and an individual presence. And I wouldn't say that the outcome you're after is to have someone show up differently because they're a woman or a man or a millennial and so forth. Mm-hmm. So what are those those things that constitute executive presence? I'm very interested to hear that. Well, I wrote a book about that. Okay, great. <laughs> um, What's the book called? It's called The Hidden Factor. Okay. So the hardest thing for people is to define presence. They say, gosh, I don't know if I can tell you in a word what it is, but I can tell you when it walks in. And uh, so there's a vagueness that comes with presence. I always say presence actually isn't vague, but it is broad. It is a broad list of attributes. But we try to boil it down to three core things. One is all around confidence. Confidence is literally about uh, how people take you in. Do I think you come across as if you have a right to be here and to do whatever it is you're doing? Um, People use words to describe confidence like knowledgeable, credible, concise, clear, and you can hear the communication theme running through that. Uh, Another big attribute is commitment. Someone who comes across with a passion, a level of involvement and interest. I describe it as someone who comes across as if it matters to them that you get it. And then finally, we coach to the idea of connection. People describe that as someone who comes across as being trustworthy, authentic, honest. Ultimately, while there are expectations someone has of how you show up, right, that sense of confidence and a level of commitment about you, which describe how they expect to see you and hear you as they take you in, It really comes full circle to how you impact them. And that's that idea uh, of connection or Mm -hmm. engagement. And it sounds like you help people cultivate their own it factor. No question. That thing that like, you know, I just have to talk to her. I just have to listen to her. And having that, having your executives like grab people in that, those first few moments. Mm -hmm. No question. Thank you. Thank you. So you guys have known each other for a while, as we've mentioned a couple of times, and I'm, but eight years, eight years. Wow. Um, that's that's great. So uh, and you're very comfortable with each other, um, as we you know, we in the studio can see. I'm very interested if there was a, a moment, you know, when the, you know you found that the relationship really kind of bound each other when you felt like it went beyond just, a, you know, he's my coach or, you know, I'm doing this professional service thing, your piece of service provider to you, to really being somebody that you brought into the inner circle. Can you guys think of a moment when that may have happened or like what, what actually fostered that transition? Hmm. Well, I could, I could say for me, I don't know if it's a moment. I would say, now Ken will come up with the moment, but um, for me, it evolved. I think you know, because in a sense that we both are in that coaching space, I, I think what builds relationships with coaching is trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, we use that word here a lot. And value. 
And so for me, it was the moment when Kent could see things that I couldn't see. Um, and I recognize that as a coach because I know I, that's the value that I bring to other people. It's asking the questions that someone really hasn't asked themselves. It is helping stretch them beyond that. And I think, you know, I guess the, again, I would say it's an evolution, but I talked about this group that we had. Um, and I, you know, Kent's done that for many years. And it's kind of a nucleus of how businesses get started with him. But I can remember in that setting feeling like Morales from A Chorus Line. I don't know if you remember her, but she's the one who's in the dance class and can't feel what she's supposed to feel. And so I thought, you know, I've got this successful little business. I'm doing really well. And I would go and sit in these <laughs> meetings and people were bringing in big problems. And I'd say, well, I don't belong here. I don't have a problem. <laughs> um, Kemp showed me I did. Got it. Got it. What about you, Kent? Can you think of, of, a, of a moment? You know, I don't know that there was a moment that I can recall, but I think it was the time in which we um, both became, because we're both coaches, and it's a time in which each of us as a coach um, were actually very much um, as equals. And I know that sounds interesting because it's sometimes, you know, I'm working with Sally and then uh, in terms of receiving advice from Sally and vice versa. Um, but this is an interesting relationship having both or both being coaches. And I think it's that point in which um, there's nothing to prove, right? It's, it's very net neutrality from that point of view um, made a really big difference mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for me. Sally, what was it that you, because it, it sounds to me like there's also this element of humility, right? Where you finally were like, you, you know, you thought you were hot stuff. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you may have, there was a question mark that was put in that. Um, what do you think has, has CEOs cultivate humility? Because I know certainly for me and from some of my clients, we are very successful. <laughs> you know, we're very capable. We've accomplished a lot. Um, but it is... But then at some point we want to expand, right? So there has to be that question mark that comes in. How, how, how do you think that people can cultivate greater humility? Or is it, is it possible? Well, I'm sure it's possible. And I guess I would label it perspective. Mm. So as I think about people that I coach, um, I, I don't know that they're looking for me to give them humility, but I think they need a sounding board. I think that they're looking for somebody to shoot straight with them, to give them feedback. They've lost a lot of outlets to get that. Uh, every CEO I've coached, as they settle into those first 90 days, one of the first things they want to ask me when the door shuts is, who, who am I going to talk to? It's lonely here. I think that's real. That is consistent across any industry, any setting. It doesn't matter how large the company is or how little the company is. And, you know, if you think about that, it's for good reason. People are looking to you to lead, not to come down the hall and ask for advice. And so I think everybody needs that expanded perspective. Um, certainly in a small business, and I think Kent would agree with this, you often have the CEO or the founder who still wears many hats. And so they work hard. It is long hours. It's hard work. And it's virtually impossible to lift your head up and look ahead. 
And that's where I think that added perspective comes in. So, you know, I feel like in my space around communication and really driving influence in an organization, I know that's what I help executives do. And I would say that's exactly what Kent helps me do. Um, he's looking at the business. I'm looking at the executive's influence and style and messaging. But the outcome we're trying to get to is pretty similar. Mm-hmm. What about you, Kent? It looks like you had a, a thought on, on how how we can get uh, CEOs to put a question mark in in their thinking. Well, you know, Sally, um, and I know that she didn't actually read it right off our website um, because yeah, because I think it's so real for so many CEOs, but she just spoke about, you know, the complexities of business and, you know, the work we're doing around leadership development, and that's the coaching piece that we do, and then providing the business advice. Perspective is a really big thing. Um, I, uh, it's a hard question for me to kind of answer and segue off from where Sally has just spoken because she did it very eloquently for one, which is what we expect. Um, but, you know, this whole sense of, um, I find most of my job is asking those hidden questions. Um, that's what I'm constantly doing. What is it that the CEO has or the business owner, the founder has not been thinking about Um, And that could be for a lot of different reasons. Or if they're thinking about it, they're not always willing to talk about it. It's sometimes scary. Um, And there's been a lot of learning over the past decade um, for me as a coach and an advisor, having been a business owner for so many times. And now all of a sudden when I arrived in Atlanta, I decided I want to be on the different side of the table. Um, So a lot of learning has gone in. and, um, And I think that allowed me to bring... Um, to bring more to those conversations and uncover individuals' perspectives and what motivates them. Mm-hmm. So you guys have used some big words like perspective and, and trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, what do you do? What do you actually do to cultivate trust with, with your CEOs? Um, I'll start with that one. Um, You know, it's a great question. And the only thing that I can really come up with is really based on feedback that people have given me, um, generously have provided to me. I just put myself out there. Um, I allow myself to be completely vulnerable. Um, I don't know all the answers. Um, I come from a place where, as you spoke earlier, you know, I I walk my talk. Um, So from the very beginning, trust um, is high. Um, people feel comfortable. Um, I think it comes from a lot of my passion. And um, as Sally and I were talking recently, like in the past few days, um, it's passion in my willingness to act on that passion, that execution of it. Um, maybe that comes from ego, not as in too much ego, but the fact that I don't want to fail, but I'm willing to be humble. Um, I'm human. And to me, that is where I believe um, trust is coming from. I may not be the most charismatic person. Um, in yes, one you on, are. You're very charismatic. Well, you know, I may not be the most likable person. <laughs> unless I'm one-on-one and people get to know me, I think that there's a likableness about that. And I think that also plays into trust. Mm-hmm. What about you, Sally? What do you do when, you, when you're working with somebody to cultivate, cultivate that trust? You know, I think I probably build trust through honesty. 
So I deal in the world of impressions more than accuracy, if if that makes sense. Well, no. So what? Okay. So tell me. Understand. So if you think about it, if you look at a leader, a lot of what they do to drive their business is data points. So most people who come in have to prove out to them through numbers, through analytics, stats. How did you make that conclusion? In my space, communication, it's more about impressions. I, I can't give you an analytic or a statistic that tells you. We can do feedback on people, but better than a number is something somebody said, a soundbite. And so what I'm bringing you is honesty in my perception of how you're perceived, how others take you in, the impact of that across your company. And it's just honest feedback that most people don't get. Now, they don't always accept it. Yeah, I don't think that's right at all. So I'm pretty good based on, you know, my experience in doing it of saying, well, should we go find out? Here's how we go find out. And I, I think in a lot of ways, that's what they're ultimately trying to get to. You know, how do I get good, honest feedback? I, I may not immediately adjust something, but I want to feel as if I'm not shut out from what's going on in my organization. And so I do think that that's really where I start with somebody. I think I'm probably more honest with them than others would be because I'm objective. There's there's nothing in it for me to tell you what you want to hear. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, Sally, that's a great point. And I know, Sally, you would just absolutely say, yes, Kent, you do not hold back. You will say what needs to be said. Uh, obviously, I try to do it with, you know, compassion. And, um, but I, you know, CEOs are busy people. Business owners are busy people. Executives are busy people. Um, they don't want to hear a long um, explanation. Um, and so my natural style is to be very direct in matter of fact. Um, and I don't want to hold back because I want to see these CEOs, these leaders, you know, just do better and better in their roles and in their lives. So, you know, holding back for me is not an option. Um, but, you know, also being caring about the individual and making sure that they receive it in the most productive way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, one of the things that I, I, I'm curious about because um, you guys have this longstanding relationship, is um, how do you keep it from, or do you, I mean, do you even think about, you know, keeping it from going stale, right? Or, you know, how do you, how do we as, uh, as advisors, you know, keep the freshness and keep from taking longstanding relationships for granted? For me, what I like is the fact that business in and of itself is continue, you know, it's complex. Things are moving. Things are changing. Um, you know, my ability to, well, not just my ability, my interest in seeing a business continue to flourish um, allows me to bring newness to the organization. And, you know, leadership development never stops. Um, providing the right kind of advice so that an organization can grow. Things are changing, whether it's the economy. It could be managing the growth of an organization or fine-tuning it um, or addressing certain issues or opportunities. So my, um, you know, my focus is um, 
in terms of delivering value is making sure that I'm, I'm staying relevant to what's going on around me and I can bring that freshness to every organization's every organization. One of the other ways that I um, discovered along the way that I um, benefit is that I don't focus on any particular industry. And by not focusing on a particular industry and where I'm adding value, I'm frequently able to take bits and pieces and think about it um, and bring it to an organization that you know, I may do something in manufacturing. We do have a couple clients that are in manufacturing. There are things that may be happening there that I can actually bring into Sally's organization. Um, yeah. Great. What about you? Have a thought, Sally? Well, I think the last thing Kent said was was uh, where my head was going, and that is the way you keep it fresh is um, most leaders want stories from others. They want to know what other people have experienced. Has anybody else ever had this happen? How did they deal with it? You know, I think a common misconception is... It's actually the premise of, of the show, actually. Yeah. So great. Yeah. yeah. I, I find a common misconception is everybody thinks a leader is after the next huge big idea that nobody else has ever tried. Well, that has tremendous risk for businesses. What they really want to know is... Who else is in this space? What were the best practices? Or where have you seen it in another space? Can you show me that it's been successful? Can you give me a little bit of a roadmap to follow? Who else has had an experience similar to me? And I think, you know, once you get a little tenure as a coach, that's a huge value that you bring people to be able to connect them, but to give them some confidence that uh, you're not in a vacuum. Others have walked this course. Here's how I've seen it play out. Here's some insights I can bring you from lots of different places. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I'm also curious about is, you know, now putting on your business owner hat, mm-hmm. uh, hats. Um, we're in a time that everybody says is going to be likely to be a time of, of great, you know, prosperity. Like we're past the recession and now we're looking towards triple uh, growth in nine months. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, a time of, uh, you know, where we can really take some ground. So I'm wondering as, as business owners, have you get guys given any thoughts to, you know, how you're going to use this, uh, this time to, to grow your businesses and, you know, thinking about using this, this opportunity for the next couple of years? Yeah, actually, I've given a lot of thought about that you. with regard to the playground equipment company, you right. go play playgrounds. Um, you know, I think, and I'm going to speak about this in a couple different ways. One about that, and also as an advisor to um, small business owners and CEOs, it's really easy when um, the economy is expanding to lose focus and to move away from core competencies. Things look great. They look easy. Money's more available. Things are exciting. Um, for me as a CEO, I get bored very easily. Thank God I have about 50 clients I work with on a regular basis. And I have... Um, I would eco- never have guessed that with you owning, having run 50 companies. Bored? No. So, <laughs> so um, um, you know, the, the aspect of... Um, you know, staying focused is really important. So we're making sure that we stay focused and really 
leverage our core competencies. This is in the playground company? In the playground company. Now, that doesn't mean that the, um, I mean, certainly going off and exploring other areas and so on, but in, a, in times of expansion, it's very easy for CEOs to all of a sudden dart into areas that are not leveraging the core competency, diversify. Um, the right diversification, maybe it's in customer base or something, but they'll tend to go in almost like subunits of their business because it's easier to chase that business right now. And when things contract like they did in 2008, the majority of new clients that we brought on, which was a great growth time for um, Symphony Advantage, was that we had to help them get back to where they really knew their craft, where their core competencies in their business existed, and I see this cycle starting all over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, I've actually started seeing it, and I, and I believe it's going to be a challenge, not just for small business, but even major corporations. Right. So both in um, Ecoplay and then with Symphony, the, you're, you're looking at focusing on, on core, core competencies. Core competencies, and um, within Ecoplay, certainly the work that we've been doing to redefine the company um, since um, you know, I took over a year ago. Um, has been really important because in that defining the organization, we are strengthening our core competency. Um, And we're not just going to simply be a lot of noise in the marketplace. We will be known for something. um, And we're hiring the resources that align with that. You know what the something is that you're going to be known for? Yeah, well, um, well, certainly we're rebranding our organization, and it's going to be um, EcoPlay Playgrounds. So we're going to drop the From Safe Play systems, and we're really going to play up on the EcoPlay Planet Friendly Fun is our tagline. Um, Planet that, Friendly Fun. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's a lot of there are not actually a lot of playground equipment manufacturing companies. It's a pretty small number, and and certainly in the plastic space, that's all we do. And we've really been doing it longer um, than most anybody else. We're a pioneer in that space. So in that, um, you know, really staying focused in that space, not just from a marketing perspective, but in all things to be aligned from our, you know, vision to our organizational structure, right down to the roles and how people. People are operating, um, and of course, yes, both our internal as well as external brand identity, and not, um, you know, saying, oh well, we could go into this other area of business. It's somewhat related. Well, the playground business is very large. We know it well. We can do it, and we do do it very, very well. Great. What about you, Sally? What are you thinking about for the next few years in terms of taking advantage of a of a growth period? Well, I'll answer it from two perspectives. One is a business owner and then as a coach. As a business owner, small businesses, um, I think there's no question. If uh, you're not thinking about how to transform your business, you're going to be in trouble because things do move quite quickly. For us, I would say we're focused really on an overall theme of remote. So our client base has gotten complicated. We coach many international executives. That means we're going to have to introduce into our coaching process uh, different, more innovative ways to do that remotely with both, uh, obviously, geographic demands, time demands. And also, the communication need that we're really seeing is all around this remote concept. The gap and the need that is there is for convenience. Everybody has gone to remote methods, and nobody's good at it. 
And so how will we solve that? We've already dipped our toe in it, but it is a much bigger format. And it'll be a shift for us because we like to get people in a room. We really like to be with people. So you mean remote methods of coaching? And training. Hmm. So if people are... Uh, taking on communication remotely. If people are running meetings that way, delivering presentations that way, we're going to have to coach them how to do that better. And, you know, it's not really fair to say we're going to do it with you in a classroom, but then you go do it remotely. So I really think the delivery of it has to be remote as well. And so I would say our business, we're not going to flip a switch and go there entirely, but that is where we're investing our creative energy right now. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's going to open up some new markets for you? No question. Okay. But I'll also answer from the coaching piece because I thought it was interesting as Kent was talking, a trend that I'm seeing, which I think is fascinating, is as companies used to write business strategies and expand, certainly in the last 10 years, what I've seen is you write the business strategy, it brings change, and then somebody like me comes in because that change is painful. It's painful to people. It's painful to process. The communication wasn't really done as well as the architecture And so it takes a while. Leaders get frustrated. Wow, why is it taking us so long to move this organization? What I'm beginning to see a trend of that I think is fascinating is right in alignment with the business strategy is the culture strategy. So that companies are getting smarter about beginning to uh, think about proactively how the culture will have to shift and how that changes this uh, talent development and the skill sets needed. Wow. And so since, um, you know, strategy is, is my thing, are you seeing that that's, or do you think that that will be true at all sizes of business that, you know, from small, medium-sized businesses up to larger companies, they're going to start looking at the cultural and the people aspect of it um, in tandem with the, the strategy as well? I hope so, because I certainly think that they, that they should. You know, every company has a culture, whether there are 10 people there or 100 people there. And that kind of loops back to where our conversation started and where Kent started on the whole piece of people. And uh, interesting to see that I I really think successful companies are thinking that way, Mm -hmm. that in addition to, to shifting the strategy, how are you shifting the culture and accelerating people. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Well, in closing, I would love to just find out if there are any kind of new happenings at, at your companies that you would like to let n- listeners in on. Um, so Sally, I don't know how, you know, how new your book is, but you mentioned your book. I don't oh, know. There's a the second one. So uh, there's the new one. Great. Go ahead. Tell <laughs> us about it. Uh, well, the second book is around leading executive conversations. So in our space, we work on presence and we work on messaging. And pretty unique to us is understanding that high-level audience. So we have actually um, packaged a methodology of specifically how to talk to a senior-level audience and their perspective of what they listen for in communication. What's the name of your new book? Leading Executive Conversations. Great. And when is it coming out? It's out. Okay, great. Wonderful. What about you, Kent? 
Well, probably the most exciting thing is what I mentioned a little bit earlier, and that's the rebranding of Safe Play systems to EcoPlay playgrounds. And uh, later this month, a new website comes out, you know, all the marketing material, the announcements, um, all the brand messaging, both internal and external, and all the things that go with it. And it's really important to us um, because we know that it better positions us within the marketplace. Um, looking at our competition, there's been a significant competitive review done. And we want people to think of when they think of, you know, 30,000 uh, milk jugs being saved from the local landfill just went into that playground and um, that they're thinking about eco-play. Mm -hmm. um, people who are um, eco-friendly, who think about the planet, um, are ideal buyers. And we want to make sure that we get that uh, market share and that we continue to strengthen that market with um, our product, which is in the marketplace by others is known as a premium product. And I'm happy to um, have discovered that. Planet-friendly fun. Great. Well, it's been delightful having you two with us uh, this morning. And uh, that's the... That's the end of our show. So thanks a lot for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.